Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Welcome to Embers and Wind. I will be your guest host today. My name is Jason Carr. One of the few things that we find in life is when we encounter moments and people that inspire you. And our guest today, I actually ran into during a rally that we had here in Columbus. And as a public speaker, someone who's very passionate about public speaking, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, this gentleman got up on stage and just delivered the most inspirational speech, got the entire crowd charged, and I am very happy to be interviewing him today. Please welcome to Embers and Wind, Reverend Felipe Martinez. Jason, I'm glad to be here. One of the things you talked about during the last podcast with Keith, in many of the speeches that I've seen, you've kind of surrounded this idea, is the idea of tension. One of my current mentors told me that the secret to great teamwork is that you have to have a certain amount of healthy tension on the team to motivate people, to make sure that their ideas are heard and so forth. And as I think about teamwork, I think about how that translates into your life and what you do for a living. When you talk about tension, what does that mean to you? How did you become comfortable with tension? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to define tension in a work environment or in a community environment, and in my case, in, in ministry. I don't know that I'm comfortable with tension, but I recognize that tension is part of the human condition or the human reality. And that is to say, I, I think of tension as currents that are meeting each other. Okay, so if you were thinking about water, it's currents that are meeting each other. One is not necessarily more watery than the other one. They're both water, but the currents coming together creates a sense of, of movement, of friction, of tension that disrupts a, an easy flow, let's say. Okay. But that there is a productive result to that tension, to that connection or that mixing or the, however you want to look at it. It is collaborative in the sense that it isn't one current trying to beat the other current down to the sea, let's say, on the way to the sea, but rather it, it informs a new course or a new direction. If you Again, if you're thinking about water, there might be a, a new course created by these waters into a new land that as a fork of a river turns or so forth. I think of tension sort of as a prerequisite for a human relationship in the sense that we all come at reality and at life from different perspectives, different directions. We each are informed by different life history, by different experiences. And one of the crucial elements of Presbyterian understanding of life or faith or theology is that each one of us holds a part of a revelation. Okay. 
So that means that, in, and again, in theological language, that God speaks through each one of us. Okay. God doesn't choose to speak only through one of us. It's everybody. But through each one of us. And because of that, there's inherent tension in hearing God, because that means we have to have a composite of the hearing happening. If I'm going to interpret a situation, if I'm going to interpret a scripture, if I'm going to interpret something, I need dialogue with other humans so that I can understand what God is trying to say to me by what God is, God is trying to say through us. It's that you can't understand what God is telling you unless you understand the perspective of how other people are walking in their shoes. How other people are walking in their shoes, how God is using their life experience to communicate a message to them. And by me trying to discern a small piece of the puzzle, I need to collect all the pieces of the puzzle, let's say, okay. or many pieces of the puzzle. The, the challenge in that is that what you're hearing and what I'm hearing might be different. And there comes some, some degree of tension. Some conflict there. Conflict or tension. Uh, I, I think that those are different nuances of words. Okay. Conflict and tension. I, I think tension offers a vision of, of something that could be working in the same direction. There is tension in a cable, yes. right? But it's working in the same direction. I don't think that conflict is a bad thing, but I'm just simply saying I'm trying to nuance that tension as being something that could potentially be heading in the right in the same direction. Yeah, it's just that there's a little bit of friction, uh, movement, energy, and so for me, it is important in human relationships, in community work, and family life to be ready for some of that tension to be there, that push and pull. Mm -hmm. And again, from a theological framework. So that we together discern what the right direction is for us to take, or so that we together can hear through each other what God, what the universe is trying to say to us. I can't on my own, I would argue, figure life out. Absolutely agree. Right. And so if I'm going to live life as a human, I'm going to have to live life in community. If I'm going to live life in community, there's going to be tension in the ways in which you and I and others will understand our reality. And so for us to walk together as, let's say, a town and not listen to each other is to simplify something that's very complex. Yes. For me to shut down the voices that I don't want to hear because it's inconvenient, because it's maddening, because it's disagreeing with me, cuts the possibility that I may be able to understand the situation in a broader sense. That doesn't mean that I have to agree with what you're saying. Right. But if I get to understand your perspective and how you arrived at that interpretation or at that way of being or that ethic, then I can say, well, all right, I can see how you got there because you had these experiences. I have a different experience. Let me show you what I have. Or there might be blinders that you might have or that I might have and that I may be able to shed some light or you might be able to shed some light on mine that I might discover something about myself through you. Yes. You know, it's interesting. We had a conversation at home last night just about this, where you have two opposing parties, and I'm specifically talking about you know, the Democratic view and then the Republican view. It's a big discussion that comes up in, in my household. And the one thing that I often come back and say is if we try and say that either one of them are completely right and we don't listen to the other side, then there's a potential that you're missing something. 
or if you classify everyone into one thing, nobody's ever one thing. We're many different things. And the growth that I've experienced in life has been through that tension of maybe not understanding why somebody is so much into sports when I'm not. Oh, okay. Well, now I understand a little bit more because we had that discussion. And now maybe I'm not going to be into sports, but we can move towards a certain direction together. Right. The trap we fall into as it relates to, say, political contests is that we look for a win-lose situation. If you're looking at the life of a community and you're looking for win-win situations, then the possibility of tension is that it can be creative and it can be life-giving. Same thing in a family. If you have a disagreement, something really foundational, your idea is for the family to continue and to grow. And so you're looking for the win-win, even though there might be significant disagreements, Mm -hmm. significant tension, creative tension. Should we move to Chicago or to Seattle? You know, well, golly, you know, like, I don't know what that's right or what's wrong, but we have to come together as a family to make a decision. The tension there might be as it relates to what job we take or whatever it is that leads us towards, okay, we as a family, and, and, and it's more than just compromise because compromise could be, okay, I'll let you win this one, but I'm going to win the next one. That could still be win-lose, but I'm talking about how you lean into the tension and you lean into even the discomfort of knowing that, boy, this is out of my area or this is out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to lean into it because my spouse, because my family, because my support group, whatever. I think it's key when you talked about getting outside of your comfort zone or if it's outside of your comfort zone. And the reason why I asked the question about tension is because I'm often put outside of my comfort zone. Each person deals with it a little bit differently. For some folks, they they crave that that tension and they also crave conflict. That is what builds them up. For other folks like me, I kind of tend to run away from from conflict Unfortunately, in my job, or fortunately, it puts me in a place where I can't do that. I have to continually do that, deal with conflict and so forth, or deal with that tension. From from your experience, I'm going to kind of turn a little bit more towards conflict. Have you always been a person that's been able to deal and, and help mediate conflict, or is it something that you grew into? No, I'm definitely uncomfortable by conflict. I I'm not a fireman because I don't run to the fire. There are some people in ministry who have gifts and talents and they run towards conflict because they bring something to the equation that will help that conflict see its way through. If I were to put it into terms, I like to run towards opportunities for depth or for growth. And if anything, a friend of mine coined this phrase, rather than simplify, I seek to complexify. Okay. And I don't mean to be difficult. I don't mean to say, let me add more variables so that we get distracted. I mean to say, if we oversimplify something, we might be missing the opportunities for the win-win. If everything is black and white, then it's going to be binary, either this or that. Yeah. Whereas if we look at something that is conflictual, what are the gray elements of this conversation? What are the places where how you're looking at something is inherently preventing you from seeing what your sibling is looking at. So I'm not motivated by conflict as the reason for being in my profession. Oh, I'm gonna go fix something, or I'm gonna facilitate something, or I'm gonna mediate. 
But rather, what I think I, I like to do, what I, I, I seek to do, is to help us put our heads together and look at each one of us as being a channel of love. How can we each be channels of love? Not be the ones that dam up the love, right? So that I can have a bigger reserve for me. Not to manufacture the love, right? Not to create a synthetic version of something, but rather to let it flow and flow through us and flow together with others. I think conflict is that. I think conflict is the opportunity to let that be a creative process. Conflict can be painful. Mm -hmm. Conflict can come with a rupture of relationship. Conflict can come with untenable situations where you just really cannot move just beyond. simply disagree with how something should be done, for instance. Disagree to the point of saying, I can't be in the same room with you. I mean, it can be that kind of a rupture. I would argue that if we are committed to relationship, conflict doesn't have to rupture the relationship. So you and I might be in the same room, but agree to be in different corners on issues such and such. On this other issue, we could be, you know, shaking hands and the other one, not so much. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I trust you, you trust me, then says, okay, fine. People talk about agree to disagree, but we will hold that tension in honoring the larger reality that we have. Okay. And you might see this with family members, for example. Mm -hmm. My mother passed away a little over a year ago. My mother and I held very different positions on very sensitive subjects. And we were able to clearly delineate our perspective, our biblical understanding on, source, on such subject, but ultimately that didn't define our relationship. But that articulated a tension that we had, and it was a push and pull, and she was always the mom trying to teach me, and I was always the son trying to say, but... Yeah. You know, and, and that's fine. That's an okay thing. Do you think that in, in that relationship, that tension was able to, you're able to continue working through that because there's trust there, right? You, right. you, you, you have the trust to come together and to have difficult conversations and then you can separate and there's no hard feelings. It's just, Hey, I know you're not intentionally trying to do something to harm me. We're just having a conversation. Right. And it might be a conversation with a lot of feeling behind it. Mm -hmm. And it might be a conversation where I'm really trying to show you that my perspective is really what should be your perspective. But nevertheless, it's a way of acknowledging that the relationship is what's important, not the conflict. It's one thing that we talk about all the time from a leadership perspective is how do you move your team forward? And if there's trust that's there, if you've built that trust... Then if I come to Johnny and say, Johnny, I don't like the way that you did this. You can either take it as my boss is coming down on me very, very hard and is really taking a stab at my quality of my performance. Or if there's that trust built, then you can come much like you have the conversation with your mom of I'm I'm telling you this because I love you mm -hmm. and I want you to get better. And by all means, you can come back to me and tell me that you disagree with me. And we'll work it out. Right. So in a work context, if we have a common goal in mind to be able to sell the product, to be able to create a product, to be able to offer a service, there might be more than one right solution. Mm -hmm. And so to talk about teamwork and to talk about working through that tension is acknowledging that there might be more than one solution. And obviously there is. Mm -hmm. There are more than one solution. 
there is more than one solution. But the idea then is that our interconnection as a team is what's going to carry the day. Because ultimately, in that back and forth, we're going to come up with something. And if I have a problem with somebody's performance, if I have a supervisory role and I have a problem with somebody's performance, I'm not going to come down from the perspective of this is the right way, the wrong way. But I'm going to come down from the perspective of how are we working towards the same goal? Because okay. there was a, an image I read in a book once. I'll have to come up with a book name later. But the idea is if we're playing basketball... The goal is to play the game right. The goal is to play the game with passion. Mm -hmm. Actually, the goal is not to win. Because if the goal were to win, you could cheat and win. Okay. The goal is to play the game for its basicness, the beauty of the game. The joy of it, the fun. The, the joy, the fun, the teamwork of it, the challenge of trying to win. But if I'm playing the game... Because I know there's a scout in the audience, I might play the game differently and might be distracted by that incentive of I want to be recruited, and that might hurt the way in which I play the game. So suddenly I'm not playing the game. And so people talk about the importance is to do your best and work the game or work the job or play the game the best possible. I think that that's right. The goal is to do the best we can to play the game for what the game is and all the beauty of the game, the intricacies of it. Some days we'll win, some days we'll lose, but we will remain team. I'm not hot-dogging it. I'm not hogging the ball. I'm not, I don't want to give you the ball because you're a terrible driveler. That doesn't help. You might remember the, the Chicago Bulls from the 1990s. Yes. And the triangle offense, you know, and Phil Jackson was big on that. It's whoever... At the particular point, whoever's open after the triangle has been created, that's the person that shoots. It isn't always going to be the Michael Jordan or the Steve Kerr or whoever was at the time. And it was interesting. That was one of the biggest growth areas for Michael Jordan was in order to win, he had to play the game with his team. He had to trust that that strategy had to do with the team as a team. Now, of course, he wanted to win. He was very competitive. Yes. He is very competitive. Yes, absolutely. But the notion of playing the game for the game's sake is the issue. So what does it look like to live life for the sake of living life? What does it look like to go to school for the sake of learning? What does it look like to be family for the sake of loving? That's the issue that we might want to look at to allow us to live through tension without feeling like the tension is going to break us. One of my mentors always coined the phrase TOPS. And TOPS stands for teamwork, ownership, passion, and then having a sense of urgency. And I think what you described there really fits into that as well. You've got to have those things to have then the joy of what you're doing. If one of those areas is off, then maybe you're doing it for yourself and then ultimately, you're not going to get as much reward out of it. Yeah. It, this is not a solo sport. Life is not a solo sport. Yeah. One of the things that I read a lot about you that led me to believe that you have this passion for education. And as we're having this conversation, it's coming out as well. And, and I saw that you have brought people into the Presbyterian Church to just have moments of, hey, I want to share information with you to help educate and one of those moments, you had brought someone in, and forgive me, I'm, I'm 
forgetting her name right now. Angela Adams, I think yes. you're referring to. Angela mm -hmm. Adams. You brought her in to talk about immigration law mm -hmm. during a time in 2018 when that subject, there was a lot of tension around that subject. What motivated you or inspired you and what was sort of the result that you saw? Well, I have an advantage in that I know Angela and I know she's an expert in her field. She's an immigration lawyer in Indianapolis. And I also have an advantage in that I trust her. So when we had an opportunity as a community to learn together, I thought, what better person in my orbit to call upon that would be able to answer questions and give us facts and give us sort of a, a clear view of a political subject by giving us the facts so that then we can discern process or discern policy. So for me, in that particular case, I want somebody who knows their stuff to share it from a perspective of sharing knowledge. Now, you might still come up with different policy perspectives based on the numbers. The immigration system does A, B, and C. The difficulties to accomplish such and such are these. Fine. Then how do we go about solving a situation where there is difficulty clarifying the immigration status of people or... How can we do humanitarian things from a humanitarian basis that work within the laws? Or as I like to say, in, in cases of immigration, sometimes it takes an act of Congress. You can't fix something. It takes literally an act of Congress. And so then how can we lobby Congress to do something so that the problem is solved in this direction? So I would say that what motivates me to bring people like Angela to the, to the table is to share knowledge from a perspective of facts, right? So I have somebody here who's not going to be trying to push an agenda, but rather say, tell me what's the reality. But we will, you know, we will also bring people in who will present a particular slant. That is part of our way of hearing from different voices. Senator Luger was one of our speakers in one of the lectures series that we have here at the church. The oh, that's interesting. Lost Lecture. We brought Richard Luger as one of the lost lecturers, lecturers a couple years back. And he was a well-respected senator and held many positions in government in the state of Indiana. And he spoke from a perspective of passion about the things he had. And we had people here who may have had disagreements of policy with him, but he was able to present his perspective. And we, we learned from his presentation. And he was talking about many things among them issues of food security and insecurity around the world. So it isn't that we stay away from somebody that has a very specific perspective on something. Okay. But what we wanted is to be done in a context that will be, I want to present my perspective and this is what it is. And then to have a, an opportunity for that tension to be there to say, Senator Luger, I really appreciate your work in this and that and the other, for example, his work on nuclear disarmament. But what do you do about such and such, right? Or we asked him some questions about, I had the job of asking some questions on the fly to get the conversation going in the Q&A. And I wanted to ask him about what he thought about. How do we, how do we deal with uh, hunger in some places? And his answer had to do with agricultural technology that just didn't sit right with some folks. So they had questions about that. Sure. You know, and so they were asking policy questions. And again, it is an issue of we are agreeing by coming together that we're going to have a conversation that is going to be fruitful from the word go. It's going to be educational. You know, one of the things I know about Luger is that he 
traditionally reached across the aisle to other people that he didn't agree with 100%, but they mutually had a passion for destroying world hunger or clean energy or just different things. Disarmament. Disarmament. And again, he had tension in his own party for doing that, but he saw, I think, the greater good of pursuing those and found ways to, to work with different people. Right. And so to be able to accomplish policy issues there has to be compromise. But again, the larger goal is, let's say, world peace, safety within a community, whatever it is. And then we say, okay, fine, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Beyond the education opportunities that you have for bringing other speakers in, what are some of the other things that you that you do or have done in the past to help advance that? Well, I mean, over the last few years, we have tried to bring in speakers to do workshops and conversations that try to dislodge us from particular ways of looking at things. So we brought some colleagues, some people I knew, some people I didn't know, to get us thinking about, for example, what does it mean to look for abundance in the life of a community? What does it mean to have an artist's view of living in community? What does it mean to try to connect with people who disagree with you? And they brought from their own perspectives their experience, their passion, so forth. It was part of a program we did, but it was basically some conversation, and then they preached a sermon the following day. So we had interactions with each other, and then we got a chance to listen to the person deliver the sermon. And the idea behind that, that particular set of speakers and, and things, was to try to discern what it is, how it is that we engage young adults in the life of a church. So that particular thing was for that. And so it was about listening and it was about interacting and it was about listening to what it is that drives the passion of young adults in a very general sense. And one of the things that we discovered along the way, and I don't think it's rocket science, but is that leaning into our identity as a congregation is a way to be authentic that is inviting to a segment of the population we'll call young adults, mm -hmm. people in their 20s and 30s, maybe late 30s. And that authenticity is inviting and is valued. There has to be a sense of, I'm not doing this just to bring you in the door, but this is who we are. And so if this is who we are and that connects with you, hey, come over. Come on in, join right. us. Right. And so for us as a congregation, Again, not rocket science, but it was a good affirmation to say, when we lean into our passion for community and for social justice, we will find people who have a similar calling, and then there's an organic growth that comes from that. So if we set about to grow, let's say, mm -hmm. in numbers, we're not playing basketball anymore. We're playing to win. But if what we do is to play basketball, if we play to be the people we are called to be, nothing else matters. Yeah, because you're just being who you are. You're being who you are. And you're saying, if you accept this, that's, that is fantastic. We're going to be so much more enriched and we're going to grow together. Right. If you don't accept that, that's fine too. Just Well, it's not so much about accepting, but if this tension calls you, come on in for the conversation. Because it isn't like, here are the 10 things you have to agree with in order to be able to really feel comfortable in this church. It isn't that kind of thing. But it's kind of like, hey, 
we have this passion and we want to do this. And so as people come in, guess what? They add to the definition of who we are. It isn't be like us, but they add to the richness of the thing. And so, like I said, if you're playing basketball and you bring a position player, they're going to enrich a part of who that team is. Somebody who's going to start or come from the bench or whatever it is, but they're going to bring a new mix to the thing that we have. So acceptance really doesn't even come into the equation. It's just, hey, if this is something that you're into and, and you, right. it aligns with your values and so forth, come and help us grow and help us That's understand it. the world a little bit more like you talked about earlier of God speaking through each one of us. Come add your voice. That's it. And I look forward to learning from you and I look forward to learning together. That's the key. Yeah. You know, as a pastor, when I interviewed for this position, I said some version of this. I said, if you're looking for an answer person, you got the wrong guy. I'm going to come and I'm, I'm going to ask more questions than answer it. If we as a church can say, we feel really passionate about this thing, social justice, issues of social justice. Will you join us in the journey? That's different than we are the church that has the right answers. If you want to be on the right side, if you want to be on the winning side, that you want to be with us. That's a different, that's a different conversation. We don't have that. And so there is something authentic about saying, I don't have the answer to this terrible, difficult thing. But as I search for the answer, here are some things that are giving me comfort and here are some things that give me guidance and here are the places where the shoulders I can cry on. If that feels like a place you want to call your spiritual home, there might be something here for you. There might be something here for you. And so, you know, I think about that in terms of a community as well. Mm -hmm. Columbus says that it seeks to be welcoming. Okay. I can tell you that Columbus is welcoming for some people more than others. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there was a recent, a few years ago, there was a survey done by the Heritage Foundation. I'm a part of their board. And and the study is something that's been done several times over a decade. And one of the ways in which they described Columbus as they were sort of understanding the whole thing is Columbus is unevenly welcoming. What do you mean by un unevenly welcoming? Some people are, feel more part of the thing than others. You know, I, I've heard people say, this is the greatest town I ever lived in. I'm like, okay, well, good for you. I know people for whom this is not the case. And so the question then for us as a community is not so much to win the welcoming contest, but to really listen to all the people who are in the mix. And what does it mean then to share in terms of decision-making and share in terms of making decisions for direction of the community? Who is at the table when topics of how power is used in the community? Who, who is at the table? How do we work towards diversity in equity and inclusion, right? So there will be some people who focus on diversity. Oh, look at all the people from all the different places. Okay, well, that is nice. But if none of those people feel included in the decision-making, mm -hmm. then that's going to be a different welcoming. And the people who are in the out are going to feel differently about the people who are in the ins. And then equity, which recognizes that we all have different historical baggage as we come into something. And so then... What does it mean to be attentive to issues of equity as we try to be the welcoming community that we can be? So for me then, as we live as a community, is how do we listen to those voices? How do those voices get to the same table? And how can I be committed as a member of this community to look around the table I happen to be at and ask, who's not here? 
we had this conversation the other night during one of our Toastmasters meetings where every Toastmasters meeting we do impromptu questions. And our theme for the day was cultural diversity. And as we begin to get into this discussion through these little impromptu speeches that we're giving and we're getting different people's points of views, the idea that people tend to think that diversity means you're from this culture or you're from this culture or you're from this place and you're from this place. And to me, diversity means that I have different experiences than you do from the way that I was raised, from the environment around me, the culture. And to reach true diversity, it is accepting that I want to hear and learn from those different areas and different opinions and so forth. I, I don't disagree with that. That can be the goal. Okay. To me, the, the goal is equity and inclusion. A absolutely. There are people who stop at diversity. Yes. There's a great podcast called Nice White Parents, produced by the uh, New York Times, or distributed at least by the New York Times, that tells the story of a multicultural school in one of the boroughs of New York. And the nice white parents, who were parents of the children who were in that school, their goal was diversity. And the people of color who were in that school, their goal was equality. And so it's a different perspective. And so for us as a community to talk about valuing diversity, I'm in favor of that. I think that that is one of the qualities that gets us to a community that values equity and practices inclusion. I think you said that perfectly. And, and it's helped me understand that more because it's a step that has to happen. But if you stop there, then you're not advancing forward. You have to bring in the other portions with equity and inclusion to then really make a change, to really get that, that true value. Because for me, when we stop at diversity, it becomes like giving us bragging rights. Hmm. Okay. So you have people from X number of nations and you have X diversity of this and that. And okay, good for you. Now, what do you do with that? Do you listen to the people who come from all these places? Do you have boards that represent your community? Do you have elected officials that equally participate? Like that would be to me more impactful than to just say, we have the rainbow. Okay, but what do we do with the rainbow if we only have a power structure that benefits this part of the rainbow? Or that has the understanding that that part of the rainbow speaks for all the rainbow? Hmm, well, why can't the rainbow speak for the rainbow? Thank you so much for your time today. This has been, for me, and I hope for the rest of the audience, uh, a huge learning experience and, and quite a pleasure. If I'm listening, I'm going to be just aching to be able to reach out to you and, and learn more about you. Where can folks do that at? Uh, Jason, the website for the church is easy to find. FPC, as in First Presbyterian Church, Columbus.org. And there is in the staff tab, they can find my bio and my email and more than glad to email with me. I often have coffee with people who just want to chat. So I'm willing to do that. Uh, one of the advantages of the pandemic has been that we've gotten our technology a little bit better. So there are sermon clips in the website. We have a, a, a YouTube channel. So you can find our YouTube channel and you can find clips from sermons from the past that you can also on Facebook, find us, and we worship at 9.30 in the morning, live streaming on Facebook and here in the sanctuary at the corner of Franklin and 7th. Excellent. Thank you again, Felipe, for your time. And 
everyone else, listen to us next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers and Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us.